the endo diet is complete bull. Um, it's extremely restrictive. And I think what people fail to realize is that a lot of these foods that are recommended by Dr. Google to cut out of the diet are among the most nutrient dense, most bioavailable sources of nutrition. Hi, and welcome to the Endo Babe podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Bree. I'm an ultrasound tech turned endometriosis coach, positivity and self-love advocate, a seven on the Enneagram, and I am a proud dog mom. And I'm on a mission to help you live more positively with endometriosis and be happy in your body. On the Endobabe podcast, we're going to dive deep into all things endometriosis, mindset, self-love, health, and so much more. This is a badass podcast for badass endobabes, and I want you to leave this podcast feeling inspired and empowered on your own health journey with more confidence and the belief that you too can have more good days than bad. Are you with me, babes? See you in the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Endo Babe Podcast. I'm so excited today. We have Cindy Dabrowska. I am so excited to share her with you. If you are on Instagram, you probably already know her. Um, she is a registered dietitian. She has a master's of applied nutrition. She's a fellow endo warrior and just like a badass business owner. Her and I met in the online space. What was it about a year ago? Probably. Right. Yeah. And just like chatting and the way that she serves the endo community and shares so much like quality information is just amazing. Like she's amazing. I've enjoyed having her in my little, I guess we would call each other like endo friends, right? Like business endo friends, <laughs> like my <laughs> online business friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she's just fabulous. I'm excited to chat today. We're going to chat a little bit about like fertility and nutrition for fertility and yeah. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, go ahead and give everybody like a brief overview of who you are and how you got into doing what you're doing now. Well, thanks so much for that lovely introduction, Chelsea. Mm -hmm. That's so sweet. Um, uh, the, the compliments extend for me to you also. I absolutely love how much joy you bring to the endo community with your positive um, Instagram page also. So thank you so much for the compliment. Um, you did cover a bit about me. So I am a registered dietitian. I am an endo warrior myself. I have a master of applied nutrition. Um, and basically how I decided to get into this space, basically using medical nutrition therapy and, and, and diet and research related to diet to serve the endo community is you know, rooted much like many other healthcare professionals in personal experience, right? So you mentioned in my intro that I am also an endo warrior. Um, without going, you know, into too, too much detail about this, uh, I had excruciating periods since my first ever period when I was 12 years old, um, just absolutely debilitating. Um, I know many of your listeners and, and maybe yourself as well can relate like to the point that you just don't really know how you're going to go on because it's just that bad. Um, and, and I talk a, a lot about this on my page, you know, like I have so many memories of me just lying on the floor immobile, like just not even being able to move because it's so debilitating. Um, and it got to a point where much like many other beautiful, strong and warriors in our community um, got to the point where I was getting 
you know, I wasn't getting any helpful feedback or information from doctors on repeat, like over and over again, um, from a very young age. And I got to the point where I was like, there has to be something that I can do to help myself. Like there has to be something out there because I'm not getting anywhere with doctors. Right. So um, I started researching and at that time I was already studying nutrition. I was in my undergrad. Um, and so I just started researching and digging into, you know, what can help in terms of diet and lifestyle for endo. And uh, it took a very long time. I think we're so used to like immediate uh, changes, right? Like overnight, we're kind of um, socialized that way, I guess, a little bit with our, with our medical um, uh, industry. So it took a really long time. It's not something that happened overnight for me, but I was able to transform, you know, my uh, gut health and my hormone health and level of inflammation that I was experiencing um, without using any medication at all. And um, I just really wanted to bring that to our community because it's possible. And although we all experience endometriosis differently, um, food is really so powerful. And so I, I knew when I was in my master's degree that I would start uh, a business in this space. Um, but it was just like a matter of time. And uh, last year around this time, a little bit earlier is when I took to the online space and it's been wonderful ever since. Yeah. And I know a lot of people listening probably see so much of your story in theirs. And I know myself as well, like being told by doctors over and over again, that there's nothing that they can do, or they've done everything they can, or you have to take this medication or do all these things. Mm -hmm. And you're like, at your wit's end, like, okay, well, there's gotta be something I can do to help myself, you know? And so I think it's really beautiful what you've done in the online space. And I know, um, I would like to chat a little bit about like your approach to diet and diet for endometriosis, because I know I speak with like a couple other dietitians, right. And one of them really focuses on FODMAPs and another one, like it focuses on like really gut health and things like that. Right. But it just, I know you have a non-restrictive approach to diet. And that's also like what I'm very much into. Like the endo diet is complete bullshit. You don't have to <laughs> restrict so many things from your diet to be able to live well. Right. And so I'd really love to talk about like your approach to diet in general, just for like general endo symptoms. Sure. Absolutely. And Chelsea, I have to apologize to you in advance because I do tend to go on rants because I'm just so passionate about this topic. <laughs> so I will not be offended or upset at all. If you have to be like, Cindy, stop talking. Um, yes. So my approach. So, uh, yes, I agree. Uh, the endo diet is complete bowl. Um, it's extremely restrictive. And I think what people fail to realize is that a lot of these foods that are recommended by Dr. Google to cut out of the diet are among the most nutrient dense, most bioavailable sources of nutrition. So, you know, and I see this a lot in, in clients where, you know, they'll swap out yogurt, for example, because it's a dairy product and they'll, they'll, put in place something like a coconut yogurt, which unfortunately does not have the same nutrient profile. You're not getting any protein, you know, you're not getting as much calcium. Um, you're not getting, it depends if it's fermented or not. You may or may not be getting the same probiotic, um, content vitamin D would be lacking. So unless it's fortified, but like, you know, so it's, it's not the same, right. Um, so where was I going with this, my approach. So Non-restrictive, absolutely. I think the main thing to think about when uh, like 
thinking about diet with endometriosis is really optimizing that omega-6 to omega-3 ratio because the main thing that Dr. Google teaches us about the endo diet is to cut out a lot of those foods that could potentially create a bit of inflammation. So for example, red meat or dairy products. Absolutely. If we follow the, if we follow the chemistry and the biology here, an excess of these foods, the fats that they contain, they can be converted into something called arachidonic acid, which is a very, um, it's a very inflammatory type of fat. But the key word here is in excess, right? So we should still be able to enjoy these foods. We just have to be mindful of our portion sizes. And it's also about what you are including, not just about what you're removing from your diet. Are you including, you know, lots of diversity in fruits and vegetables? Are you having, you know, four or five servings of vegetable and about two fruit a day? And then, you know, is there diversity included in that? So you're not always having the same fruit or the same vegetable every day. You know, how are you preparing your foods, right? Because we know a lot of cooking methods also introduce a bit of, you know, inflammation. Um, so, so yes, that there's that piece. And I also, uh, the last sort of main, like big thing with my approach is I focus on three main pillars that we know through the literature contribute to inflammation and pain related to endo. And those are gut health, hormone health, and inflammation. Gut health is a major source of inflammation in endo. Um, you know, the statistic is crazy in terms of how many people have GI related symptoms with endometriosis. It's almost, it's almost everybody right? Um, it's like 90% or something crazy like that. So if there's some source of inflammation coming from the gut, unfortunately, yes, you may, you may see, you may see some changes in symptoms with like mass removal of food groups from your diet, but why wouldn't you just address the root contributor to that inflammation, um, while still enjoying the foods that you love, uh, and still get similar benefits. Yeah. So addressing the gut health, we always want to address the gut health first um, and then look at the hormones, right? Because very quickly we know estradiol is very inflammatory. Estriol is a proliferative type of estrogen. So we don't really want to encourage that one being high um, with endometriosis and, and the way that our, and what our bodies are doing with it. Are you properly clearing it? Is it getting to your stools and then being cycled back into your body because, you know, maybe you're constipated or you've got a dysbiotic gut, right? So you've got a major um, gut imbalance going on. So, um, and then once you've addressed gut health and hormone health, you've already significantly brought down a lot of inflammation because these are two main sources of inflammation and endometriosis. And then from there, I mean, listen, there's no denying that there's always going to be inflammation present with endometriosis. It's just the nature of the disease. Um, but if you address gut health, hormone health, you will bring it down significantly. And then it's just a matter of you know, um, monitoring and, and supporting reductions in inflammation with the diet and with appropriate types of exercise and stress management and good sleep and drinking clean water and that sort of thing. Mm, yes. There's so many little things to unpack in all of that. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, it is, it's kind of like putting lipstick on a pig when you like cut everything out of the diet. <laughs> instead of addressing like what's actually going on. Right. And mm -hmm. what do they call it? Like the honeymoon phase when people like go super strict vegan, right. Or you, of course you're going to feel really well because you're cutting out all of these like things that possibly maybe weren't making you feel great. But in the long run, you're also cutting out all these micronutrients and cutting out all of these other really important aspects to 
living well in general and to reducing inflammation and improving your gut health and hormones and all of the things. Right. Um, so yeah, like really focusing on what the actual root cause is and what's causing all of these issues for you in general, right. Is important. And I know you said gut issues, right. Gut issues are huge. How many people do you see that come in that have like GI issues with endometriosis? Cause I feel like the number of clients that I have, it's almost all of them. Mm -hmm. Right. Especially in the very beginning. I would agree with you hundred percent. I think the bulk of my clients have GI or gut related issues. And so for somebody who's like trying to get pregnant, possibly how do those gut issues contribute to fertility, if at all? Yeah, it's a great question. And there's a lot of information. I mean, you always have to start from square one, right? So taking a look at the gut health, making sure that you're, you're actually absorbing nutrition properly. There are a lot of nutrients that are key in fertility with endo. Um, You know, we have a lot of literature around folate, for example, um, and folate deficiency, uh, and, and consequences on fertility around um, folate deficiency, vitamin D, right? We have vitamin D receptors on all of our reproductive organs. If you're not getting enough, then it does impact, you know, how well your ovaries um, or uterus may function, right? Um, iron is a big one too, which is really needed for fertility. So really just, you know, stopping, uh, assessing the diet, making sure you're actually getting nutrition Uh, that you need and also looking at how well it's being absorbed. So that would be really the start of, you know, somebody comes in and looks to improve fertility via, you know, nutrition. That's where I would start. And then it would depend on really what's contributing. If it's idiopathic and we don't really know what's contributing, then just checking off the boxes, right? Making sure, okay, you know, the the length of your your period is uh, nice and healthy and normal. Your luteal phase is nice and normal and healthy. Um, Typically, what I would say is if it's somebody who's got idiot, like unknown infertility, then uh, probably I would just target inflammation as best as possible with endo. And you would do that through diet, obviously, right? Yeah, diet. There's a couple. GI health, the whole thing that you kind of addressed earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Optimizing the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, um, you know, looking at the type of physical activity the person is doing uh, blood flow is also really, really key, right? Nitric oxide. I'm actually doing a post on this today on Instagram. So nitrate containing foods to help with that blood flow, right? Cause there is some literature around nitric oxide or nitrates uh, in, in veggies helping with blood flow and particularly blood flow to the uterus to help support implantation. So all those sorts of things. And um, some, some supplemental supports are safe uh, during the two week wait and into pregnancy. So I might uh, look at a couple of those with some clients as well. Yeah. Awesome. So like for me personally, right. Because we obviously were like moving into a trailer to move to Montana. So like not right now, but, um, within like the next year or two, we're probably going to start to like, try to attempt to have children. Right. And so like, what would you recommend? Like I'm not on birth control. Um, what would you recommend that I do to support my body to get ready for that? Or somebody who is like thinking about getting ready for pregnancy in the future, like what would you recommend they do to get their body ready for it? 
Yeah, great question. So this this cycles back to that same thing we were talking about previously, right? Really making sure that the gut uh, and hormone health are in check. So if you don't have any GI symptoms and you're having regular bowel movements, um, that's a great sign, right? So it sounds like your gut health is, is nice and optimal. If it's not, then addressing that first. So probably the first step in that domain that I would try is, you know, increasing the fiber. If it's low, making sure you're hydrating enough um, and drinking clean filtered water, right? Because this is like a epidemic or I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like, you know, so many people are on hormonal, um, contraceptives or other types of um, hormones. And this does go into our water supply. And and it can like if it's not properly filtered, it can affect your personal hormone levels. So clean filtered water, um, assessing the gut health, what's really, really important. I mean, gut health is super important for fertility with endo, but um, even more so I want to say like hormone health, right? Because if you're not producing enough progesterone, and that's typically a consequence of stress or poor sleep or nutrient deficiencies, which are obviously very key for fertility, um, that's going to be huge, right? Uh, if your progesterone is too low, your luteal phase may not be long enough to sustain a pregnancy, your ovulation may be very weak, you may not be ovulating at all, right? If your progesterone is not there, um, and estrogen, very inflammatory, um, so we want to make sure that those uh, balances are, are, are nice and check, um, you know, small little, small little things that you can do to start improving on that front without any really like, you know, intense formal intervention would be, you know, enjoying a, a cruciferous vegetable every day, like the broccoli and the cauliflower and the cabbage and Brussels sprouts and kale and those types of foods. Um, and phytoestrogens. I know this is a very controversial topic in the space of endometriosis. But the literature is there, right? Like the literature is there to tell us that this, these phytoestrogens in these foods. So a lot of people think they're only in soy and that's why they avoid them. But phytoestrogens are also in things like lentils and raspberries and barley. Um, So the literature is there to tell us that these foods, like if you're somebody like me, for example, with an insane estrogen dominance, um, and I have actually tested this on myself, I've guinea pig, I'm, I'm a guinea pig to myself where I did, I started doing like clean sources of phytoestrogen. So mostly for me, it's unsweetened soy milk. Um, and I was able, I was like actually able to bring down my estrogen. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a whole other, it is, we could like dive into that deep because it's, it's so cool. It is. Yeah. 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 So the literature is there to tell us, like, if you're somebody like me with an estrogen dominance and you consume these phytoestrogens, they are what we call mildly estrogenic, right? So they bind to the same receptors as your endogenous estrogen, that estrogen that you're producing in your own body. Um, But they're mild in nature. So if you're somebody like me, who's got a ton of this estrogen, this really potent estrogen floating around, and you have a couple of these receptors bound by a milder form of estrogen, they take the place of that, you know, stronger, more intense estrogen driving it down. Um, So that's why they're actually really quite good for endometriosis. And I really wish, um, I really wish that people would start uh, to appreciate them and include them in the diet a little bit more. I recognize that, you know, not everybody tolerates every type of food, but I really wish people in the endo community would stop fearing it as much as they do. That is my wish. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of fear around food in the endo community in general. And I think a lot of it's driven by the endo diet, you know, Mm -hmm. and people 
thinking that it then needs to be followed really a lot. And I mean, honestly, that's why I stepped away from helping people with like diet and things like that, because a lot of the clients that I was, I was coming to, I was teaching them like intuitive eating, you know, but they would come mm. to me with like borderline eating disorders and I'd have to refer them out. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. I don't, I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a mindset coach, you know, like yeah. not my, not my area of expertise. You are so, so right, Chelsea, honestly, the amount of people, I want to say the amount of people with some kind of disordered eating with endo is probably close to the same amount of people who have GI symptoms with endo and exactly like you said, related to the endo diet and just all this fear around food. And it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart too. But I, that's again, why I appreciate what you do because you share like quality information that breaks it down so easy. So people can be like, Oh, that makes sense. Like I understand that, you know, instead of just like blanket statements, you know? Okay. So like addressing the gut issues, addressing like the hormonal issues, right. Through nutrition. And I mean, I guess probably just like tracking your cycle and seeing like, if everything's like, do you have a short luteal phase? Do mm-hmm. you have like anything that's kind of pointing to an abnormal or abnormality in your hormones? Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? And then addressing inflammation. Yeah. Addressing inflammation. That's the third part. So that's, where I would probably, you know, think about a lot of like, uh, pre and probiotic food sources. Right. And that's because that direct link with the gut, right. We, if we can modify the gut, um, to have, you know, a really nice, healthy amount of commensal uh, bacteria that produce things like butyrate, which are these anti-inflammatory, uh, chemicals that originate from the gut. Uh, we can have a lot of anti-inflammatory effects uh, coming from the gut as well, uh, like a, the source being the gut health. So um, that's where like pre and probiotic food, like pre and probiotic rich foods would come in in terms of inflammation, lots of herbs and spices, right? We know they have tremendous anti-inflammatory effects. So um, just supporting somebody and in, in integrating those uh, into the diet as much as possible. Um, even our, our drink choices. So green tea is such a potent anti-inflammatory. Um, it's wonderful. It's also uh, an aromatase inhibitor. So uh, we have, our bodies have the ability to convert androgens into estrogen. And uh, sometimes that is the cause of why somebody may have elevated um, estrogen, particularly if you've got a lot of stress in your life. So green tea is a really nice way to block that conversion. It's also anti-inflammatory. Um, looking at things like resistant starches, which again, it's, it's related to gut health, right? Because these resistant starches feed our good gut bugs and they in turn produce these anti-inflammatory chemicals, optimizing that omega-6 to 3 ratio. Um, and, you know, of course, uh, colorful fruits and vegetables, always, always, always a key uh, piece to anti-inflammatory eating, green leafy veggies, that sort of thing, um, oily fish and that type of thing. So that's where the focus would be when targeting inflammation in the diet for fertility purposes. Yes. Yeah. So like if anybody is listening, they're like, okay, I've heard her say this omega three to six ratio and they don't even know what that is. Can you explain that? To them? <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, the North American diet currently, most people have an omega six to three ratio of about 25 to one, right? So 25 times the amount of omega sixes to threes. Uh, this is sort of the average, of course, not everybody has such a big ratio and this is problematic. So the ratio we, we more so want to see is about four to one. 
uh, even 10 to one, you know, it's debatable, but can be argued that it's all right. Uh, so omega-6s, these are essential fatty acids. So we do need them. They do need to come from the diet. It's just that they're widely more available because things like corn and soybean oil, these are, um, really like, like these are really good sources of omega-6s, but they're also really inexpensive. So they're used a lot in processed foods and packaged foods and fast food and things like that. So they're widely more available in the diet versus the omega-3s, which come from, you know, our oily fish, uh, like uh, sardines and uh, mackerel and that sort of thing. And we also get our omega-3s from, from nuts and seeds. So yeah, I mean, for anybody who's listening, I mean, you can do a quick, quick assessment of your own diet and, and think about like how often you're eating more of those packaged processed uh, foods, like even healthy breads sometimes are made with these oils, right? Soybean oil or corn oil or canola oil. Yeah, so the, the North American population is about 25 to one in terms of that ratio. Now we need omega-6s because there are pro-inflammatory fats. So for somebody with endo, they may be thinking, oh my gosh, pro-inflammatory, why would I want that? Um, you need you need this because if you cut yourself, if you injure yourself, if you get a fever, your body, that pro-inflammatory response, that is uh, needed in those moments to help you heal and heal wounds and get you back to, to baseline. Um, and then omega-3s, of course, they're anti-inflammatory. So they help us fight inflammation and, and pain and that sort of thing. But that ratio uh, that exists currently in the North American population is far too big. So we want to bring that down. And there's three main ways to do that. Uh, so the first is to reduce your intake of omega-6s, right? It could be your oil swap if you're using corn or canola or soybean oil, although I don't know who uses soybean oil, but swapping those out for, omega, uh, for um, excuse me, avocado oil or olive oil, those are better sources of fats. Um, bringing down your intake of processed, you know, packaged foods as much as possible, picking whole foods uh, whenever you can. Um, the second piece is around your meat choices. So if you are somebody who enjoys meat, opting for the grass-fed versions over conventionally raised meats, that's also going to significantly bring down your omega-6s because conventionally raised animals, they're fed a lot of these, uh, they're fed a lot of grains, like omega-6 rich grains, and of course that translates into their meat. Whereas grass-fed or um, like game meats will have significantly more omega-3s, which is great. Uh, and the third piece is, you know, increasing your omega-3s in the diet. So eating more or supplementing if you're not getting enough in the diet. Um, and that would be supplementing with fish oils. Yes. And it's so important for, for endo. I know um, it's something like if you'll Google, like what supplements are recommended for endo, you know, everybody's always like omega-3s, but you know, you don't really hear people talking about all of the, the vegetable oils and the the omega-6 and meat and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know this isn't really related to anything that we've, <laughs> we we're going to talk about, but let's kind of switch and chat about like meat a little bit. Right. Because mm -hmm. I, I know that red meat gets such a bad rap, but there's so many amazing things in, in red meat that are essential for, and uh, just amazing for endometriosis. Right. And so I know, like you just said, even making that swap to grass-fed meat, but what if somebody is like terrified of eating red meat, like what would you recommend for them? Mm, yeah, I hear that. 
So again, this goes back to that point about excess, right? If you eat too much, and again, I don't mean to instill fear, but if you eat too much, you know, it's a very real, real possibility that your body will um, make some of those fats that we find in these meats into arachidonic acid, which is inflammatory. But the key word is excess, right? So uh, this is going to vary by person. It depends on your food preferences and things like that. Um, the Mediterranean diet tells us two times, uh, less than two times per day, but I think for endometriosis, that's still a little bit excessive. So two times per week, uh, maybe even a little bit more than that. It just depends. I mean, if you're getting quality meats, it, it depends on, you know, your, your degree of symptoms and amount of endo you have. It really, <clears throat> excuse me, depends a little bit, but yeah, that being said, exactly like you were saying, Chelsea, meats have a lot of really quality nutrients. Uh, and this is bioavailable nutrition. So that means it's really, your body loves it. Your body loves the type of nutrition that's coming from these foods. It's very easily absorbed. Um, it's tolerated well, the body loves it, it digs it. Um, and a lot of these, a lot of these nutrients are really important. Like if we were talking about a food that had a lot of really great nutrition, um, but maybe they're not like, you know, the first nutrients we think about when we think about, uh, endometriosis, like vitamin A, for example, even though it's an antioxidant, maybe it's not the one of the ones that we think about right away right when we think that. about endo. Yeah. yeah. Versus something like iron, for example, which mm -hmm. we do think about because if the iron is low, which is common in endo because heavy bleeding can sometimes result in iron gut issues, which are common in endo will prevent um, iron from being properly absorbed. And if we have low iron, this results in really like intensified cramping and symptoms related to endo. Yeah. So I think what I was trying to say is that it's nutrition that actually matters. I mean, all nutrition matters. Don't get me wrong, but these are like really key nutrients. So one of the examples I just provided is iron, right? Which we find in a lot of these uh, animal products. And I already explained why it's important, right? If it's low, you're likely going to have more intense cramping and symptoms. Uh, it's really important for just blood, right? Iron carries oxygen throughout the body. So, you know, if you're lethargic or tired, or if your extremities are always numb, uh, even poor blood flow to the reproductive organs can affect fertility and, and cramping, right? Like, if you're not, if your blood vessels are constricted, you're going to have worse cramping. So it's important for more reasons than one. And uh, zinc, right? Zinc is another really important one we find in meats. Um, and zinc is really important for the thyroid and immunity. And immunity is so key in endo. Like, one of the big, big things we know about endo in the literature is immune system dysfunction, right? Our bodies just don't know what to do with ourselves because of this, this dysfunctional immune system. And what's going to make that worse? Zinc deficiency. So, you know, and, and I could go on. I mean, protein is also really key. Anything that grows or needs healing, you need protein. You absolutely need protein. And unfortunately, as much as I love plant-based sources and as much as I do focus my approach on plant-based sources, because they are so good for gut health, they just, they're just not as nutrient dense and they're just not as bioavailable in terms of their nutrient profile. Yeah. And I mean, I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head, right? Because it is it's not just like all plants or all meat, right? It's a good quality of all of it mm -hmm. to be able to get the correct amount of nutrients that are bioavailable and that are going to support you and your body and actually reducing symptoms, right? And making you feel better. Absolutely. Well, this was wonderful. Is there anything last that you want to share with the audience or the people listening? 
yeah, just know that you're not alone. And it was really, really tough, but uh, you're not alone. And there's a lot of really great resources like Chelsea and um, my page on Instagram. Um, you can find me there at endo.fertility.dietitian. Uh, I do have a free little eating for endo guide, which you can access through my Instagram page. Yeah, always, always welcome questions or chats and DMs or, or whatever. And um, Chelsea and I also did a really nice live on that piece around endo and mindset, right? Which is so important. If you, you can eat all the best things and likely will experience benefits, but how you perceive your condition, how you live with it is so important. So um, that's on my profile as well. You can check that out. Chelsea, I don't know if you have access to that on your profile or not, but um, not on my profile, but I can share it on stories. Cool. Okay. So Yeah. yeah, I think that's about it. Um, yeah, and you guys we'll, were able to follow my my crazy train of thought and it was lovely to be here and yeah no it was wonderful and I mean I'll link everything below so you guys if you're listening you can just go below and click the little link it'll take you over to her profile but yeah it was wonderful chatting with you I enjoyed our convo a lot you are very well spoken and very knowledgeable and so I'm sure everybody listening all their mind is blown right now <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, But if, yeah, if you guys are listening to this and you got a ton out of it, go ahead and screenshot this and take us both, put it on Instagram. Let us know what you got out of it and what your favorite part was and come say hi. Our DMs are always open. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks Thanks again for coming on. We'll see you on the next episode of the Endo Bay podcast. Oh, babe, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. I had so much fun and I'm so fucking grateful for every single one of you. If you thought that this was helpful or you loved any part of this podcast, I would love, love, love for you to screenshot it and post it on Instagram at Chelsea Bree, C-H-E-L-S-E-A-A-B-R-I and tag me. I would love to see what you're getting out of the episodes. It makes me so happy. I would also love it if you'd subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that just helps other wonderful endo babes find me as well. I adore you and I believe that you don't deserve to feel like shit. You deserve to have a normal life despite endometriosis. So I love you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day and I'll catch you on next week's episode of the Endo Babe Podcast.